The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with the stage being set for the second impeachment of President Trump as he faces further crackdown from the tech sector. We're live in Washington with the very latest. Then we turn to the increasing political tensions in Washington, ushering in a wave of caution among investors as stocks find themselves in a bit of a holding pattern and a developing story as one of the top officials in that federal push for a coronavirus vaccine. He's now announcing his exit. And President-elect Biden apparently tapping a very familiar name among the financial sector to lead the SEC. And we're set to get our first major IPO of 2021 as the strong momentum of public offerings, it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling into the new year. It is Wednesday, January the 13th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And a good morning. I am Frank Holland. I'm in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. We begin with stock futures as always. And right now, they're slightly higher, pretty much flat. Now, this after stocks finished flat yesterday, as traders increasingly find themselves in a bit of a holding pattern. The major averages, they remain lower for the week after Monday's slide. Financials, they were the big winner yesterday amid rising rates, with Goldman Sachs climbing nearly 3%. J.P. Morgan and Bank of America both climbing more than 1.5%, along with Charles Schwab, which hit, actually, an all-time high. Now, speaking of rates, let's take a look at Treasuries. The benchmark 10-year yield, it's hovering right now right at about 1.127%. It's still pretty close to its 10-month high, uh, which is, you know, the pre-pandemic highs. And, of course, as always... Continuing, we're keeping a close watch on Bitcoin and it's real whipsaw action, whipsaw action. I don't even use that word. Whipsaw action. It's crazy in recent days. Look at this chart right here. It's now holding in the $34 to $35,000 range as of late. Right now, you see it's up about four and a quarter percent, volatile to say the least. Let's go worldwide now. Juliana Tattlebaum, she's in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. Hey there, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, it's a similar picture here in Europe to what you're seeing in U.S. futures. After a sluggish start, we've got some positive momentum building, and now every major market is trading slightly higher on the day. But overall, the magnitude of the moves is fairly contained. The French market is out in front, up about 0.4 percent. The Spanish market also holding up well, up about a third of a percent. The laggard this morning, the Swiss market, which is fairly defensive, hovering around the flat line. Within that headline, we are seeing a bit of a pullback in cyclical stocks. Yesterday, we saw strong demand for the cyclical parts of the market. So today, a little bit of a retreat, perhaps some profit-taking in those names. Two stocks I want to highlight for you in particular, the best performers in Europe this morning. Here's a look at Carrefour. Shares up nearly 10%. Canadian convenience store owner Couchetar and French supermarket chain Carrefour are in talks over a deal that would see the two retail giants worth a combined $50 billion merge. So that is one stock that I want to highlight 
highlight for you. The other stock I want to highlight is Telefonica. Uh, these shares up again nearly 10%. The Spanish telecom firm Telefonica has sold its mobile phone mass business in Europe and Latin America to infrastructure operator American Towers for 7.7 billion euros in cash. So a lot of deal news for you this morning. Overall, European markets edging higher. Frank? Did you say mobile instead of mobile? You've been over in Europe for quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you very much for that report. I'm confused now, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, mobile? You're from New Jersey, aren't you? (laughs) I'm from Boston, so not far. Not far, okay. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Sorry to to critique your accent. All right, now to that latest (laughs) shakeup in the federal government's COVID-19 response. Bertha Coombs has much more on that and the morning's other top stories. Good morning, Bertha. Good morning, Frank. Always picking on us Boston girls. Operation Warp Speed Chief Advisor Dr. Monsef Slawi has submitted his resignation. Sources tell CNBC his exit came at the request of the incoming Biden administration. The sources say Slawi would stay on in his role for a month to help with the transition. It's not clear who will take over that role. The first big IPO of 2021 set to begin trading today. Firm Holdings pricing its stock offering above expectations at $49 per share, raising $1.2 billion. The installment loan provider, as a result, will have a market value of nearly $12 billion during its debut and is the first of several companies to go public this week after what was a hot 2020 for IPOs. Shares of Urban Outfitters, however, getting hammered in the pre-market after the apparel retailer reported disappointing holiday sales. The company also announcing current CEO Trish Donnelly will be leaving at the end of the month. Urban Outfitters naming Sheila Harrington, current CEO of its Free People brand, as the new CEO. You know, Urban Outfitters, their stores, Frank, they're really the kind of places where you want to go and wander and discover. Hmm. And that's hard to do in this environment. Very interesting. You know, Bertha, I'm, I'm a little, I'm six foot four. I'm a little tall for their clothes. I haven't been in one of those stores in quite a bit, but uh, investors definitely reaction, reacting to that shakeup of, uh, in its C-suite. Thanks a lot. Yeah, All right. for sure. Now to Washington. As the House prepares to vote on a second historic impeachment hearing, NBC's Tracy Potts. She's in Washington with the very latest on that. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Frank. Good morning. So the argument that the 25th Amendment should be used to remove the president went nowhere. A lot of debate last night. It was approved in the House. But in the middle of that debate, Vice President Pence sent a letter saying he doesn't think it's the best thing for the nation. That opens the door for what is happening today. The first time in America that we have seen a president impeached twice, and it's likely to happen. We now know the nine Democrats who will lead the charge for impeachment, the charge that the president incited the riot that we saw on Capitol Hill last week. The president now responding, calling it, quote, absolutely ridiculous that uh, what he said in that rally just before thousands of people marched to the Capitol had anything to do with the riot that ensued. Uh, As the president put it, people don't think I said anything wrong. Uh, But he will be charged today uh, with Democrats and now five Republicans who've come out publicly saying they will vote yes for impeachment. So the timeline here is we're expecting two hours of debate and then that final vote likely sometime in the afternoon. The big question then becomes, what happens with impeachment? It's a charge, an accusation by the U.S. Congress, but it's the Senate that holds the trial. The New York Times now reporting that Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, longtime ally of the president, privately is backing 
impeachment, that he wants to get the president out of the party. Big question is, will he bring the Senate back early to hold trial before Joe Biden is sworn in? Frank. Hey there, Tracy. You know, I also saw that report. Very interesting turn and in, in development in this whole situation. I also saw previous reports that Senator McConnell said that they wouldn't even be able to begin these impeachment proceedings until January the 19th. Is that still the same timeline? Well, January 19th is when the Senate is supposed to come back. But now he's getting pressure to bring the Senate back early to try to do this or at least get it started before inauguration. You know, a lot of things are are coming to a head at once here in Washington. This impeachment, this historic impeachment, whether or not they'll try to squeeze in at least the beginnings of a trial before inauguration, which, of course, uh, with the new security concerns, uh, there's just a lot happening in one space. Yeah, a lot of developments there in Washington. Some new territory here. Tracy Potts, thank you very much. All right, back to the markets now. And your next guest says, despite headwinds creeping in to potentially curb the rally for stocks, the outlook longer term, it just won't be derailed. Ben Emmons is the managing director of global macro strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having us. So, Ben, let's just begin with what we're seeing today. Uh, Yesterday, stocks, they ended flat. The futures are pretty much flat today, slightly higher. We're seeing the dollar bounce and bond yields move higher. What does this all signal to you? It signals to me that the outlook remains firm for markets because what you saw actually yesterday, if you look inside the index, it was energy, it was materials, it was the banks, it was the mid-caps. Those are all up about 1.5%, and you're seeing it's actually spilling over in the European session today, too. So there's an expectation that, yes, there's a worsening pandemic, but there's also a vaccine rollout that will accelerate. So this convolutance is going to lead to a certain point where we're going to get a full reopening of the global economy. That's, I think, what markets are anticipating and why the strength in the markets will remain despite some of the political uncertainties that we're, for example, witnessing in, in D.C., well, we're seeing some of ind- some of the indices showing some all-time highs. The Russell 2000, the Dow Transports, also at all-time highs. We just showed that on our screen. Um, but those in particular are tied to the reopening. The Dow Transports, obviously, also benefiting from some of that work-from-home play with e-commerce. Which one of these themes do you see taking over until we get the, the vaccine proliferation and more people vaccinated? Um, we're all going to be stuck at our houses for a bit longer, and there's also a variant. So which one of those do you see being the dominant theme, at least for Q1? Well, the stay-at-home theme will stay dominant. As you say, we are in lockdowns, and, and it's in the United States as well. So there will continue to be demand for services when you are at home. But we have to take note of what's happening in the tra- uh, transports and logistics sector in particular, because this is supply chain that we're drawing from to get the vaccine out there, to distribute it and to get it produced. So I think th- that sector will particularly be leading Right behind it will be the banks and will be the, the leisure and hospitality. I think this is sort of the transition we're making. Trans, uh, transports first and then banks will take over by the second quarter. So, Ben, you sent us notes. You had a really interesting theory about Bitcoin actually being tied to the recovery, not only tied to it, but actually influencing it. Can you kind of explain that for us? It's an interesting development, Frank, because, you know, prior Bitcoin was sort of it's really on its own world. Nowadays, we see a bit of a correlation between Bitcoin and, say, what we call the financial conditions index, which is like a broad index of equity and bonds and, and commodities. And I find that notable because nowadays it's all institutional money that's getting into Bitcoin and viewing it as an alternative asset class and maybe you know taking it as a portfolio position. So I think Bitcoin is becoming that, for that reason, influential markets. 
and the pandemic has shown that the digital services and demand for digital uh, you know, services in general is a proxy. Bitcoin is a proxy for that. So I think that too plays a role. And therefore, the, the volatility that we're seeing in Bitcoin, which will remain high, I think, could affect markets at, at certain days. And we saw that at the start of the week, for example. So, Ben, before we let you go, you mentioned that digital disruption is one of the biggest themes in this 2021 market and 2021 economy. Can you talk some sectors and some stocks that are going to be beneficiaries of that trend? I think it's particularly the e-commerce sector, Frank. That's where, you know, prior to the pandemic, e-commerce was something like 10 percent or so of GDP. By latest estimates, it's become more like closer to 20, 25 percent. So, there's a whole range of like you think about internet companies, but you think about anybody that uses e-commerce. I think that's a big deal going forward. In addition, like digital in itself, all companies have to use now digital platforms to get their customers to their products. So I think that too will be a an important driver for markets for me. It's like a secular team. And lastly, it's of course just the pandemic affecting the way we work, you know, so the stay at home uh, trends will not necessarily disappear. And therefore, despite a reopening, I think in that sector, too, you can see a lot of demand for services for stay at home. All right. Ben Emmons, thank you very much. Some interesting thoughts about Bitcoin there. We appreciate it. All right. When we come back, the big pump retailers are seeing in business, thanks to customers taking delivery out of the ordering equation. Plus Visa, abandoning its efforts to take over one Silicon Valley startup amid antitrust pressures. And later, the editor-in-chief of Mestopedia, he breaks down the top concern among the markets and where investors are putting their money. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Today's big number, $188.2 billion. That's how much shoppers spent online during the 2020 holiday season, up over 32% from the prior year, according to Adobe Analytics. All right, welcome back. People buying online and going to the retailer to get it. Those type of transactions, they more than doubled in 2020. Call it click and collect or BOPIS, buy online and pick up in store. Either way, it's been the biggest driver for gaining e-commerce market share, according to a new report from eMarketer. They share this data exclusively with CNBC. It shows the big four click and collect retailers. That's Walmart, Home Depot, Best Buy and Target. They all saw click and collect numbers double. Target's nearly tripled. The result, a 3% gain in market share. That translates into roughly $23 billion more billion in revenue in 2021 if you extrapolate based on those 2020 e-commerce numbers. This year, eMarketer is forecasting big box stores making even more gains, coming mostly from mall-based retailers. Click and collect inside of a mall really is there's the most friction to that pickup experience. And so even if you have it available, mall-based retailers are, are really just in the worst position. And so um, they're losing share as a result of that. 
Amazon, it still gained about 2% of the e-commerce market share in 2020. That's largely due to Prime subscriptions increasing by 15%. The retailers also placed 900 Amazon Hub lockers at locations all around the country to enable click and collect in residential areas. Companies like Macy's, Tapestry, and L Brands, the parent of Victoria's Secret, with the majority of their stores in malls, they're all expected just to face increased pressure as this trend continues. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Bitcoin's history of wild price swings continuing as billions are just wiped out amid its recent slide. We're going to break down what's ahead for the cryptocurrency when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And welcome back to, World, to Worldwide Exchange. It is 520 here on the East Coast. This is a live look at 30 Rock here in New York City, uh, right there at the ice rink. That's also the area where the famous holiday tree usually is. But now we're in 2021, a brand new year. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. We're going to toss things over to NBC's Philip Mena, who is live in New York, actually at 30 Rock. Hey, Philip. Yep, I sure am right here. Frank, thank you so much. Overnight, acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen released a message on the insurrection at the Capitol, calling it an intolerable, shocking, and tragic episode in our nation's history. He said that afternoon, more than 500 law enforcement officers and agents from the FBI, ATF, and the U.S. Marshals rushed to secure the Capitol. He also said to expect more charges against the rioters, and he issued a stark warning against planning any further attacks. There will now be two trials in connection to the murder of George Floyd. The first is set to start in March. On Monday, a judge ruled that Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer accused of killing Floyd, will stand trial alone, while the other three officers who are accused of playing a role in Floyd's death will stand trial together in August. The judge cited limited space because of COVID as the reason. Chauvin is charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter. He faces up to 40 years in prison if convicted. Finally, Super Bowl winning quarterback Aaron Rodgers revealed that he will be a guest host on an upcoming episode of Jeopardy. Rodgers, who won an episode of Celebrity Jeopardy back in 2015, called the late Alex Trebek a hero of his. Frank, back to you. Yeah, that's a great piece of uh, uh, trivia there, Philip, that he won back in 2015. I think he actually won 50 grand for one of his charities. He says he's a big fan. I'm curious how he's going to take over the hosting duties because Aaron Rodgers is known to be like a little, little snarky, a little smarmy sometimes. And uh, he can be. I think all of his uh, focus right now is uh, squarely on the Los Angeles Rams right now. He'll worry about that one later. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that guest hoping he at least hopes isn't until March when the season's over. The Super Bowl. That's right. All right, Philip. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. All right. All right. Still on deck, the House gearing up to vote on whether to impeach President Trump for a second time. Eamon Javers is standing by with the very latest. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Green arrows, futures point to more gains for stocks at the open. In Washington news, the House voting to call on Mike Pence to remove President Trump from office. And Bitcoin continues its wild ride, now on track for its worst week since March, just days after hitting an all-time high. It is Wednesday, January the 13th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
All right, welcome. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and your investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Let's start with stock futures as we always do. Those stock futures pretty much flat, slightly higher right now in the early trade. Now, this after stocks finished flat as traders increasingly find themselves in a holding pattern, the major averages remain lower for the week after Monday's slide. Not a holding pattern, the Russell 2000, the small cap index, is up more than 1.5% this week and up nearly 8% so far this month, just keeping that 2020 momentum going. Dow Transports also seeing plenty of movement, climbing nearly 1.5% yesterday. Its fifth positive session in the last six. It's actually up more than 4% to start this year. And oil, it's continuing its rebound, climbing nearly 2% yesterday to its highest levels since last February. Right now, we're seeing oil and gas in the green. Now to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs, she's back with those headlines and much more. Hey, hey Bertha. Hey, good morning to you again, Frank. Visa dropping its planned $5.3 billion takeover of fintech software startup Plaid. The decision comes a couple of months after the Justice Department filed an antitrust lawsuit saying the tie-up would limit competition in the payments industry. President-elect Biden is expected to name Gary Gensler as his pick for SEC chairman. Gensler has experience as a financial regulator. He ran the Commodity Futures Trading Commission during the Obama administration and served in President Clinton's Treasury Department. And YouTube is suspending President Trump's account, saying he uploaded content that violated its policies. The White House was also issued a warning for a violation and told that it could face the same suspension. The president's account has nearly 2.8 million subscribers, and it normally posts several videos a day. Truly unprecedented, Frank. Back over to you. Yeah, you know, Bertha, we're definitely in a historic territory right now. Thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it as always. All right, a new survey shows that the state of the nation is the top concern for investors in 2021. For more on that, I'm joined by Caleb Silver, the editor in chief of Investopedia. Hey, Caleb, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Good to be with you. And we've been surveying our readers all year. These are engaged investors, people who are very active with their own accounts and they know what they're doing. And all year long, they've been very bullish. Going into December, they were very bullish after the elections, but the last week has scared them back a little bit. And now their number one concern, Frank, is the state of the nation and civil unrest. It used to be COVID. It used to be the elections. But now that all that's passed and we saw what happened in Capitol Hill last week, it's the state of the nation. And at 60 percent of our readers, this is about a million and a half readers that we surveyed, are very concerned about that going forward. That said, most are kind of in a Goldilocks form when it comes to their portfolios. They expect more gains in 2021, but we have more response now expecting some losses, some steep losses because of the political uncertainty. So this is generally a very bullish crowd, but they become a little bit scared and pulling back a little bit in just the last few weeks since we've seen how things have played out uh, in Washington, D.C. And what they're worried about going forward, again, is that civil unrest and what that's going to mean to markets and then policy uncertainty as well, plus COVID. Caleb, I like the way you're taking the bull by the horns on this one. So we were just showing your uh, survey results right there. Like you said, almost 60 percent of your readers finding the state of the nation their top concern. What do you think is causing all this? We've talked a lot about the bifurcation of the market, the divide between Main Street and Wall Street, and the market's not really responding to all the turmoil we're seeing in the country. Why all of a sudden do you think your readers see this as a concern? 
I think it's because they, we've seen things we haven't seen before. You just said it to Bertha. This is truly historic times, and we've seen things unfold on television and at the nation's capital that we could know we couldn't predict. But also, even though they they saw that blue wave coming with the elections in Georgia, right after that is when we began surveying them. They're now concerned a little bit about the rise in taxes. I think everyone uh, that we've surveyed pretty much believes there will be some rise in income taxes and corporate taxes going forward, and political uncertainty in terms of the size of the next stimulus. Is there going to be a bigger stimulus bill passed, and what's that going to mean for the landscape? But they've also been sitting on 40% gains for some of them for last year. Yeah, uh, I, I, I totally agree with you, we had very that, solid gains as well. Yeah, stimulus is definitely a factor, especially with President-elect Biden saying the stimulus could be in the trillion. So obviously that's spurring a lot of thought when it comes to investments. Um, like, as we mentioned, historic times, a lot of turmoil. And generally, that may change the way people balance their portfolio. And this year, we've seen some of that. We've seen commodities red hot, real estate's red hot, a lot of interest in cannabis. Where do stocks rank as a preferred investment right now? Well, our investors love that home cooking and they love stocks. So they still think large cap U.S. stocks is where that action is going to be. They're very favorable towards the big caps that were represented so much of the gains in 2020. And a lot of them are sticking with those. We actually surveyed them on what their favorite uh, asset class would be going forward. And it is U.S. equities followed by international equities, especially those emerging markets, and then, of course, Bitcoin. But the favoritism towards equities is strong. This is a stocks crowd. They love their stocks, and a lot of them are older folks uh, who have been in the market for quite a while, very loyal to the dividend-paying blue chips that uh, sort of brought them their returns over the last decade or so. You know, Kev, it's really interesting that you say your readers are mostly older people. I saw right there U.S. Treasuries only 1% saying that's their preferred investments. And generally, older investors like that security of fixed income investments. Um, and also a lot more people who are younger are kind of jumping into the market for the very first time as retail investors. Cannabis is the other thing that sticks out here. Can you talk about bonds and cannabis? Why the more interest in cannabis of all things over bonds? Right. Well, cannabis is a growing market. And obviously, with the, the Biden administration coming in, talking about decriminalization, several more states opening up for legalization, they like the prospects for that. You can see the action in the markets over the past several weeks with cannabis stocks and cannabis ETFs. And to be clear, our readers are you know, uh, old and young, but we have a very strong proponent, especially in the newsletter uh, readers who are older folks who have been in the market for 20 or more years, and they've seen different cycles. So cannabis, they believe, is going to be obviously a growing market. They've seen what happened to the stock prices in the sector last year, and they believe there's going to be some upside because of the decriminalization and possible legalization, but that still remains to be seen. In terms of bonds, they know where interest rates are going to be for the next three years. The rest of us do, too. They are rising to a certain extent, but the gains and the yield has been in stocks. All right, Caleb, before we let you go, because we are running out of time, let's talk sectors. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Healthcare is obviously a crucial part of our economy globally. What other sectors are your readers interested in and think that have the biggest upside for 2021? Yeah, large cap tech. They, like I said, they, they love that. That was the horse they rode in on. And they're very faithful to that. We asked them for any stock, one stock that they could hold on to for the rest of 2021, if they could just have one. The number one, Frank, Tesla. Number two and three, Amazon and Apple. So these are loyalists that like the big caps. Well, like you mentioned, people like that home cooking and that work from home economy. Those are three stocks right there that address it. Not Tesla so much, but that stock's just red hot. That's a whole cult and that's a whole different thing. Caleb Silver, this was great. I'm a big uh, fan of your site, actually. So thanks for your time. We appreciate it. All right. Now to the latest out of Washington and the push by congressional Democrats to remove President Trump from office. Eamon Javers joins us live with the very latest. Hey, Eamon. 
Yeah, good morning to you, Frank. It looks like this will now be a bipartisan impeachment effort today in the House of Representatives. We do expect the House to vote uh, as soon as late this afternoon to impeach President Trump for a second time. Uh, some of the movement on the Republican side came late yesterday uh, after Liz Cheney, a member of House Republican leadership, said she would vote uh, to impeach. She is, of course, also the daughter of the former Vice President Dick Cheney. Here's her statement from yesterday. She says, uh, there has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. I will vote to impeach the president. Uh, over on the Senate side of the aisle, the New York Times reporting late yesterday that Mitch McConnell uh, is, quote, pleased that Democrats are moving to impeach President Trump, believing that it will make it easier to purge him from the party. So late yesterday, uh, the House voted to push for this resolution calling on Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove the president from office. Pence sent a letter to the Speaker of the House yesterday saying he will not do that. Here's what Pence said. He said, under our Constitution, the 25th Amendment is not a means of punishment or usurpation. Invoking the 25th Amendment in such a manner would set a terrible Precedence. That leaves us uh, with this morning's events on Capitol Hill, where we do expect uh, at 9 a.m. in considering the process for impeachment on one article of impeachment, of incitement to insurrection. And we expect that vote to take place late this afternoon. We expect it to pass. And then the question, Frank, is what happens over in the Senate side? How quickly can they move forward with a trial? Are there the votes to impeach and remove the president of the United States on the Republican side there? We don't know the answer to that question right now, Frank. Back over to you. Amen. Thank you very much. You know, that is really a great question right now. Uh, we've seen previous reports that Senator McConnell said that the impeachment trial couldn't start in the Senate until the 19th. That was before we saw these reports that he actually could possibly be on board or he's actually supporting it. Um, what is the realistic timeline? Do we see it happening before or at least beginning before the inauguration? Or is that one after the 100 days timeline that we've seen from uh, Representative Clyburn? Is that more likely? Yeah, it's really an unknown right now, Frank. Senator Schumer, the Democratic leader, has been saying that he could use emergency provisions inside Senate rules to move something to the floor very quickly, as long as Mitch McConnell uh, is on board with that. If, if Schumer and McConnell get together, uh, they can move it to the floor relatively quickly. But under the Constitution, they do have to have a trial of the president, and presumably that would take some time to allow the president to present his side of the case. We heard from the president yesterday. He said uh, everything that he said... He said in his speech uh, to that crowd before sending them off to the Capitol uh, was perfectly fine. And he said uh, experts have looked at it and, and you can imagine that would be his line of defense in an impeachment trial. Uh, we just don't know how quickly all that can happen, though, Frank. It's a real unknown right now. Amen. I've said it all morning. We're just in historic, unprecedented territory. I think it's just something we'll all have to watch. I know you'll be watching it all day. It's staggering. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Amen. Javers, live in D.C. All right, coming up, Bitcoin's wild ride, the digital, the digital currency on track for its worst week since March. We'll talk about the volatile start to the new year. That's coming up. But first, as we had to break a few of the morning's other top headlines, American Towers buying telecom towers in Europe and Latin America from a subsidiary of Telefonica. The deal carries a price tag above $9 billion. The U.S. will now require all international airline passengers to show proof of a negative COVID-19 test before traveling into this country. The CDC says the order will go into effect on January the 26th. And Disney looks to be gaining on Netflix in the streaming wars. New data shows consumers spent about 6% of their weekly streaming time on Disney Plus in December. That's well below the 28% of time people spent on average on Netflix. But it's still notable that the Netflix number is down from the same time a year ago. 
Mandalorian, probably a factor. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is 540 here on the East Coast. And look at a very colorful Times Square. But as normal, it's pretty empty out there. Not a lot of traffic. With the vaccine being delivered all around the U.S. this year, we're hoping that's all going to change. All right. In the first few days of 2021, Bitcoin had its best start to a year since 2012, hitting a record high on Friday. That is until Monday, saw it down 15 percent. The crypto then rebounded yesterday. It's still up over 300 percent since a year ago, though. So what are investors supposed to make of these short-term fluctuations? Joining us now is Anthony Pompliano, founder and partner of Morgan Creek Digital Assets. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So we're going to show a chart of Bitcoin year to date. I think volatile is a euphemism. Uh, this is quite, it's quite some action on this chart. But you actually believe that holding Bitcoin, it gives people more control over their investments. And you actually call it beautiful. I've never heard that term for Bitcoin. Can you kind of explain your thesis here? Yeah, so from a price perspective, remember that Bitcoin was trading at $10,000 in October of 2020. So it basically went up 400% in less than 90 days, kind of had this parabolic run. uh, And so had a 20% retracement. Uh, It's pretty natural. If you go back to the 2017 bull run, uh, Bitcoin between 2016 and 2017, when it more than 20x in price, had five corrections of over 30%. And so naturally, what you're going to get is you're kind of going to get these mini boom and bust cycles. But over a long period of time, even just one year uh, in 2017 bull market, you had a 20x in price. And so uh, the happening in 2020 really kickstarted uh, the next bull market. And I think what we're seeing here is this is kind of the first uh, correction, uh, but it's still higher than it was in October of 2020. And we're going to continue to see it move higher and higher in the coming months. So, Anthony, you agree it's volatile. We're, we're going to agree right there. You're saying there's many boom and bust cycles. But I think the question everybody wants to know is, what is the true worth of Bitcoin? And is it in any shape or any form tied to the value of the dollar? Because we've seen the dollar bounce and then we've seen the Bitcoin fall. Yeah, well, look, you know, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve ran a $3 trillion marketing campaign for uh, store of value or inflation hedge assets uh, in 2020. And whether you believe inflation is actually going to occur or not, there's a fear of inflation. And so investors are moving capital into precious metals, Bitcoin, real estate, etc. And I think that Bitcoin has been the big winner out of that group. Um, and we've seen the price movement uh, kind of follow. Uh, and now what we're watching is we're watching Bitcoin really go from a contrarian trade on Wall Street to consensus trade. So you had retail come in first. Now you have institutions. I think next you'll see corporations. Everyone from Fortune 100 companies on down will start to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And then eventually we're going to see central banks around the world start to put this into their reserves. Right now we're kind of transitioning from that retail to institution. And after that, we'll go from institutions into the corporates. Uh, and again, it's just Bitcoin is a better asset. If you compare it to something like gold, it's a 10x improvement from a technology standpoint off of gold. So a store of value use case is kind of a low-hanging fruit. And then if you start to look at it as an actual digital currency, it's a decentralized digital currency, You know, can it rise to global reserve status? I think that's the big question investors around the world are speculating on. Um, and we'll find out you know, kind of how the market um, you know, plays out here over the coming years. Well, what's your opinion? Can it be a global reserve currency? Is that actually... Uh, the trajectory of this asset? I think Bitcoin will be the next global reserve currency. And the reason why is every fiat currency has the same exact structure. Basically, it's controlled by uh, a group of people. It is uh, devalued over time. 
uh, to kind of incentivize people to get out of the currency and either invest or consume. And so Bitcoin comes along. It's the only currency that we have that is one decentralized, right? So that is different than the fiat currency. And two, it has a different structure. It is deflationary in nature. There's only 21 million uh, Bitcoin that will ever be available. And so when you look at this, you know, sound money or gold really lasted for thousands and thousands of years as money. Uh, in 1971, we decided to get off that gold standard um, and kind of built the financial system we have today. That's a relatively small blip in history that we don't have sound money. So, Anthony, so I think with the creation ag- of Bitcoin, agreed. we're going back. Agreed on that one point. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. So a, a small portion of time since we went off the gold standard, but Bitcoin has an even shorter track record. So could it be replaced by some other cryptocurrency or are there any others out there waiting in the, in the wings to take over? Yeah, there's you know over 8,000 different digital assets. They all try to serve many different purposes. I think Bitcoin is by far the winner when it comes to cryptocurrencies. There's other things that are trying to serve as commodities um, or even digital securities, but Bitcoin as a currency is by far the winner. Um, and you have to remember that a currency is really uh, a belief system. Will people accept it? Um, and do they believe that it has value? And then two is a network effect. The more people that use it, the more value that it accrues, the more utility it has. So Bitcoin's network effect has really set in and it now has this kind of escape velocity when it comes to adoption. There's over 100 million people who use Bitcoin, and now you're starting to talk about uh, retailers using it. You're talking about some of the largest institutions on Wall Street. So I think we're kind of just getting started when it comes to mainstream adoption of this asset. Yeah, you know, a lot of applications for blockchain. We'll have to see how cryptocurrency continues to develop. But uh, Anthony Pompliano, we really appreciate that insight. Thank you very much. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the IPO rush. The name's looking to go public at the start of 2021. And if you haven't already subscribed to our new podcast, you really should. Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio form. And if you miss us, you miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you can check him out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Financial lending company Affirm is going public today, and it could be the first of many names to watch in the coming days. Leslie Picker joins us now with more on the IPO rush. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Frank. Good morning. This could actually shape up to be one of the busiest IPO weeks all year, and it's only the second week of January. A firm kicking things off, pricing its IPO about 11 percent above a range that had already been boosted earlier in the week. That IPO at $49 a share, raising more than a billion dollars for the buy now, pay later platform. And that price tag makes a firm worth $12 billion, quadruple its last private funding round from less than two years ago. Now, another $4 billion worth of issuance is expected to hit the market over the next three days. Just three days, Frank. Poshmark, the parent company of Petco, expected to make their debuts. And then by Friday, you'll see trading in online gaming company Playtica, as well as auto repair chain Driven Brands. And that doesn't even include the, oh, half a dozen SPACs that are also listing this week, in addition to those operating companies. So investors are certainly willing to pay up to get allocations in these IPOs right now. Uh, And that has kept the deal flow spigot open again for the current environment. Just yesterday, Compass, the real estate platform, or actually this was two days ago, announced its confidential filing. CNBC reported uh, last week that Oatly is preparing to go public as well. Roblox shifting their deal to a direct listing model, but that should also come relatively soon. And then there are other companies like Qualtrics, Coinbase, Robinhood, also on the horizon, Frank. So it is definitely going to be a busy start to 2021 while this IPO window is still open. 
Yeah, we can see. So, Leslie, just curious, uh, all the uncertainty we see right now in D.C. and everything else, does that impact the desire of these companies to go public? Isn't that just remarkable, the fact that we have seen so, uh, so much chaos on the political stage, and yet the, these IPOs, these issuers, have been basically unfazed by that. Not only are they coming out in droves, but investors are willing to pay up for them. And, and the big reason for that is because oftentimes the IPO market mirrors that of the just the overall market. So the fact that the overall markets have risen, you know, and have remained steady throughout this whole thing has led to issuers to think, OK, well, this is OK. I guess I can go out now. Now, I will say one thing. Uh, it's not that people aren't paying attention. And I have heard incidences of companies that are actually pushing their IPOs from, say, the second and third quarter, they're moving them up because they're a little bit worried about volatility. They're a little bit worried that that IPO market could close because things look so good for issuers issuers right now. Picker, shaping up to be a busy day for you and a busy 2021 with all this action. We appreciate it <laughs> as always. All right. Don't miss a first Thanks, on Rick. CNBC interview with the firm co-founder and CEO Max Levchin on Squawk Alley at 11 a.m. Eastern. All right, back to the markets now. Your next guest is generally optimistic about 2021, but he expects a very significant rotation this year and says there are some early signs that's already starting to play out. David Katz is chief investment officer at Matrix Access Asset Advisors. Hey there, David. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. So let's jump right into it. What is this rotation that you see already starting to unfold? So last year, you had growth dominating value by the biggest margin since 1979. We think that's got to end because it's at evaluation extremes. And we think the things that pushed growth last year are slowing down and the things that hurt value are exactly reversing. So we're starting to see it uh, since the fourth quarter. Value has been outpacing growth. Growth has slowed down a lot. And this year, you've started to see financials start to do a lot better. Uh, financials have a disproportionate uh, exposure in the value indexes. We think that they're poised to, have to leave the market this year. And while we think technology can do fine, uh, we think it's going to slow down and participate with the market rather than lead the market. So let's just talk a second about the Russell 2000. We've mentioned it on the show quite a bit uh, uh, this year, at least. And it's the best performer so far this year. What do you attribute that to? And why are so many people saying it's all about large cap tech when small caps are the outperformers? So small caps had a very bad nine months last year. And as people started to look toward the economy opening up toward the COVID vaccine uh, and a better 2021 economy, they started to talk about look at things that were most leveraged to the upside and smaller cap stocks are most leveraged to the U.S. economy. So they're starting to do better. They're catching up. We think they're selling at reasonable valuations right now. But again, we think that there are parts of the Russell 2000 that are expensive, primarily the hot technology stocks. And we think the duller value stocks are still selling at a pretty reasonable price. So we're looking for a pretty big rotation to boring. Uh, the previous spot was just about IPOs on really hot technology type companies. We think that's an area that's very risky. The stuff that we think is a lot more interesting from a stock market perspective going forward is the dull, the slow and steady. So we like financials. We like healthcare. Utilities have been horrible this year. We think they're poised to do much better. You get a very safe four and a half percent yield, uh, which we think is going to be a good thing this year, especially since money markets are, are zero. Uh, we think telecom will start to do better. Industrials will do better. 
Um, so there are lots of places to make money, but the watchword for this year is going to be conservative. We also think dividend stocks, which were miserable in 2000, are going to, uh, 2020, are going to be a very good place to be in 2021. All right, David, you're bringing plenty of excitement. So let's focus on those dull sectors just for a moment. You mentioned utilities and also in your note that you sent us, you mentioned consumer staples. Both of those are often tied to that work from home, stay at home play. Obviously, if we're all at home, we're using more power and we're eating more at home. Um, where do you see the upside there for those? Are there specific stocks that you see that uh, gaining? Both specific stocks and the group. So we think that the stocks have done so poorly of late, even though they had a great run in the first quarter and second quarter of last year, they've really lagged for the last six months. So we think they're going to start to play catch up. So a company like Coca-Cola is a reopening play. Half of their business comes from stadiums, from restaurants. Uh, so we think you can get a very good yield in Coca-Cola and it's a reopening play. In terms of utilities, uh, they're doing well, whether the economy's open, whether the economy's closed, they're uh, just making nice earnings and they're paying that out to investors. Yet nobody has really cared. Utilities did poorly last year and started this year out poorly. So we think that uh, they're at about 15 times earnings, very good yield, dull. But we think dull is going to be good, especially if some of the more speculative sectors start to slow down. We think some of the stay-at-home plays like the Zooms of the world, all of a sudden their businesses are going to go from 50% growth to 30% growth. And when you're at 100 times earnings, you've got a lot of risk and can go down. Those are the things that we're most worried about. And you say that value's actually been outpacing growth since about September the 30th. Do you see that trend continuing? And how do interest rates play a factor? Well, we do think that trend continues and we think it accelerates this year. And uh, basically, uh, you had a guest on the other uh, week from Ariel, which talked about the last 14 recessions and coming out of those recessions, value outpaced growth. 14 out of 14 times and with a rising rate environment. So we think that things that are in place in the economy really come together for value starting to do better uh, and to slow down growth. At a minimum, we think it's going to be a pretty level playing field. Uh, but right now for new monies, we think your best bang for the buck is in these value stocks. So you just mentioned new money. A lot of people who are retail investors have jumped into the market during the pandemic. If you were going to start a portfolio, what two sectors would you start with? Uh, right now, we think healthcare is very good uh, as a place, and we think financials are really going to be one of the leaders. But we think if you're a new investor, you really can diversify. So you, you might want to buy like an S&P uh, ETF and a high dividend ETF. That would really protect you, and, and you'll do pretty well in the upcoming year. David, we really appreciate the insight and, and some of those stocks that you mentioned. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Have All a great day. We're going to take one more look at the futures right now before we go. Uh, futures pretty much flat as in the early trade right now. We're seeing right now the Nasdaq up slightly. However, the S&P taking a dip into negative territory. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.